Welcome on into the show. My name is Danny Gallagher, <laughs> and I am joined by the snare campaign. I can't stop. <laughs> it feels too good. <laughs> Sorry, I just watched Grandma's Boy recently. Oh, I love it. He is a snare campaign provocateur, the belated birthday boy himself, oh. Benny Horowitz. What's up, dude? Thank you. Thank you. Deep, deep, deep in the midst of existential dread and mystery. Uh, <laughs> for some reason, usually birthdays don't really... Uh, hit me in that way i kind of am just usually glad to be alive sort of this one though there's a lot of things going on where i'm like whoa all right i gotta get used to like assisted living or something like fairly oh my soon God. <laughs> <laughs> two weeks ago you're like i could have a whole second musical career and now you're no, like, i don't think so anymore <laughs> no all downhill we're from right now <laughs> listen things change fast things change i know fast. no no it's it's good it's a hectic week. Everyone's sick. It's just how yeah. it goes around here. How are you doing? What's going on? You, I heard you got a, uh, you got slapped with a case of the Austin, Texas. Oh my god, dude! It so happened. last week, so previously, like you were on tour, we didn't do the pod. Last week was completely my fault. I woke up on Friday. First of all, hour earlier than we would normally do yes, it. So yeah. that's one thing. But then I, I, I completely sounded like Doc Rivers, like. <laughs> I was like, you'd be looking at Quinn Snyder, but you'd be hearing Doc Rivers. I love that. And I was like, dude, I can't do this right now. So, um, so yeah. what happened? How did you get Austin? Did you just did you go out? Did you have a little too no. much barbecue? Some some IPAs, things things like that. So the film was down there, um, and we were like, you know, we're trying to get that thing off the ground as we have been. And I was at this networking event that was like really cool. Um, like Alec Berg was there, like the guy that created like Silicon Valley. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, sure, sure. Barry um, was okay. te was telling Seinfeld stories and Larry David stories like all night. Like really cool e event. Um, terrible wine at this thing, which I only had like two glasses, which should not do anything. But dude, I woke up and I guess just all of the talking just led to nothing. That's so, it. That's we go. it. You got caught up in the evening. Uh. <laughs> Celebs, wine flowing. What's happened to you, Denny? You've changed. Oh, I You've wish. Changed with this I wish, celebrity. You. you I harnessed. wish my bank account has changed. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta start selling. Uh, selling ads on Instagram or something. That's, oh, that, that's I'll the do, next uh, step. Face face products cryotine therapy or whatever the heck they sell over there yeah i'm getting in the demographic now where i could sell boner pills <laughs> isn't that usually what podcasts do they start hawking boner pills i or, was uh, making fun of howard beck a couple of years ago because he was doing a podcast and he had to do a read for for boner pills and i was like man all these years in the media right <laughs> you, you sit back and, and it's the modern age and all of a sudden you're you're doing ad reads for boner pills, you know? Should we use Howard Beck as a transition just to get the white elephant out of the way? Uh, sure, sure. If you'd like to get into it now. I mean, or we could do this day music history. Totally. No, no you already segged it. Let's okay. go in. You're changing the format. Let's do it. Well, okay. So, you know, we're going to talk about uh, this past week. Kyrie Irving has made some news. And you know it's bad when even the people that are not following the NBA every day like we are get the notification on their phone, be like, Kyrie Irving suspended for five games, which is com a complete reenactment of what happened in my living room last night. Yeah. Um, so Kyrie Irving, uh, you know, it's been pretty well publicized, made some anti-Semitic or, or 
promoted anti-Semitic material over his social feed. Um, I'm still really struggling with like why someone whose life is pretty good is like feels the need to like uh, elevate feels like he's elevating himself like and looking down on everybody else. Um, this comes after weeks of, you know, the Kanye West stuff. And it just seems like a, a really strange time for all of that stuff right now. Um, but you can talk about this way better than I can kind of, where has your mind been at with all of this, uh, the past couple weeks with, uh, world just being in like a bizarro place right now. Well, as a, a lifelong Jew, maybe like sometimes things like this are more met with a like uh, um, almost a depressing acceptance of like the way I knew things were the entire time more than surprise. Mm-hmm. You know, like you don't have to live long in the world with the last name Horowitz to like understand where it comes from and how people feel about it and kind of answering questions in the exact same way like Kyrie Irving does, which is like, I don't hate Jews, but, and there's always this extra thing and there's always this like, and then I think it makes people have to remember that, you know, it was like less than 70 years ago when somebody was fairly successful and almost eradicating Jews, it was, there are still places you can go that people think that uh, Jews have horns under their hats and there's this diabolical stuff, blood in the water, sucking babies' blood, uh, you know, all these old fucking, you know, uh, the, the dog whistles for, for stuff that means something else, you know, like poisoning the well and and this evil cabal of people like taking care of things and, you know, The strange thing for someone like me is that, you know, for most of my life, like I've identified much more as an American, uh, someone from New Jersey, a punk rocker, um, someone who likes the teams I like. Like these are the weird things I've identified with. And then you just get these sobering realizations from time to time that like, oh, I'm not totally welcome here. You know what I mean? All the time. And there's this looming threat all the time of people and it seems like when things get bad and when social structure starts to fall apart everyone universally starts to blame some some kind of you know like jewish cabal for the takedown of the world and listen i'm no expert on a lot of things but i can say from face value and my anecdotal evidence that i've been watching three generations now of jews in america fumbling through this goddamn country like everyone else working their way being fucking poor getting fucked all the time and it's a matter of luck and smarts and hard work is the only reason my family got to where they got not some uh golden check that arrives every month from some ominous thing that doesn't fucking exist so uh, you know, that's like just my personal sentiment off the bat is how frustrating that is. And, you know, one funny part about it that I've had to reconcile is the fact that like, 
I've sat down a couple nights this week, my normal time, seven o'clock, where I want to like, all right, you know, like seven thirty, eight o'clock, you know, it's uh, I can put on PTI from today and I can go into my NBA box scores and scroll around for an hour and fucking clear my head and, you know, do that thing. And, you know, this week I met every single time with the the stunning reminder that people out there in the world hate Jews, which enrages me more than almost anything. So I feel this like bitterness about like my safe space being littered with this. But that's also the same exact thing that like, uh, you know, you're white Christian conservative types would say during like Colin Kaepernick, like all I want to do is watch football. And why are you making this, uh, you know, about politics or about this and that? So got to be careful in, in the idea that like, I do believe that people have these platforms and they have a voice uh, and they should be able to use it however they want. But uh, the the repercussions could and should be just the same if they're saying things that are, you know, grossly untrue or, uh, you know, dangerous and things like that. And if Colin Kaepernick literally got expelled from the NFL for um, doing the things he did was raising an awareness to like an actual real problem that was fucking happening, not some conspiracy theory, literally got expelled from the league because of it, despite his talent. Uh, I think in a weird way because of the pushback Kyrie might be on the same path, you know? Um, and that's what this new five game suspension open-ended. Like I do wonder if, you know, we saw maybe the last game of Kyrie Irving in Brooklyn. And as you know, on a personal level, I, I hope so. You know, I think that the, this is a crazy thing because, you know, Myers Leonard last year, you know, he was playing video games, throw out an a expletive, um, a slur, uh, claim later to not know what it, it meant and, like, just, just said it. This is the promotion of, like, hate speech. Myers Leonard has not played a game of basketball since then. Yeah. And if we want to stay consistent um, and... Kyrie Irving probably should not play a game again in this league until he comes to true contrition. And that's, that is a, you know, Kyrie is a much bigger business than Myers Leonard in, in, in this whole, whole thing. But, you know, what are we doing here? If we're not holding people accountable, you know, all of this time we've heard people talk about, um, using their platforms for good and, and, and stuff like that. And the player empowerment and led by Kyrie Irving saying that the players don't have enough. Well, this is ballooned to such a, a, a point where it's like, he's almost like drunk with the power that he feels that he has. And he's just out here uh, saying crazy stuff. So, uh, and, oh, yeah. and then yeah. the, the absolute wild thing about this, I don't know if you heard the Nick Friedel press conference from over yeah. the weekend. And we had Nick Friedel on the radio on Sunday, like the day after everything happened. Mm -hmm. The confusion that Kyrie has about um, the a like the media, what him putting something out there means, what him like tweeting something. Um, 
if, if he says something out there, he doesn't think that that's promotion because uh, he didn't make the documentary. It's like you didn't make Uncle Drew, but you're still in it and your face is still all over it. And that's oh. a terrible movie. Well, I think this is when we're getting to the point, and I've heard some people make that point where it's like now you're looking at a pattern uh, of someone who is not just defiant, but like, you know, um, incapable of saying they're wrong. Yeah. I did this. I can't do this. These people are right. I think he sees himself as some weird kind of like free speech martyr or something like that. And he'd be willing to say a lot of things to be able to keep putting himself in that position, you know, but as you said at the Nick Friedel press conference was all you needed to hear. And it was so unsettling for me, particularly as a Brooklyn Nets season ticket holder, a Jewish Brooklyn Nets season ticket holder who has been spending a lot of fucking money and time to this team over the years, you know, like, like this isn't, this is a real thing where I'm like, I don't feel good about going to that stadium. I don't feel good about rooting for this team. I'm already suckered into the fucking tickets for the entire year. You know, like what am I, what are people supposed to do when some guy is asked plain as day, Hey, excuse me, Kyrie Irving, are you anti-Semitic? Which just basically means that, like, you know, people should be allowed to say Jews. Like, let's let's say the real word of it. Do you hate Jews? Do you think there's a Jewish global conspiracy? He had the opportunity to at least at the bare minimum say that, like, I made a mistake and no, I don't hate fucking Jews. But he couldn't do it. He did the thing that racist people do when they're caught up in some racist shit. They go, oh, I, I don't mean that, but, but, you know, there's a little of this and there's some truth to this and there's this and, you know, and that shit never ends. Yeah. And those are people who can never draw a fine line to anything. And this is honestly one of the reasons where I'm, I'm disappointed not only in Kyrie Irving, I'm disappointed in his teammates, I'm disappointed in the Nets, and I'm disappointed in the league because the second that was uttered in that press conference, that line got drawn. And these other players who use their voice so often were completely silent during this time. And this is where people talk about over-representation for Jews. Well, there's also a lot of under-representation in some places. And there's no Jewish voices in the league who could stand up for this and say this. But if there was, you know, some person in a press conference who was like, you know, uh, Uh, No, I don't even want to start with the fucking with the comparisons of this and that. But I do feel like it's a lot easier for people to get away, say and move around in this idea of of uh, being racist towards Jews than a lot of other groups. And, And it's just like one of those things that people need to sit back and really think about how deeply, deeply anti Semitic stuff is. I mean, Dude, to the point, you know, the the Catholic Church was still publicly blaming Jews and the blood libel for the killing of Jesus Christ until the 1970s. You know, there are people alive who think that Jews should be eliminated from the earth because of this reason. Like, we're not far removed from some really, really awful, dangerous, toxic shit 
somebody just mowed down a bunch of people in a synagogue not that long ago. And it's like, if you can't put these two things together, then I don't want to see your fucking ass playing for my team like ever again. You should 100% get a refund on on your tickets. I, I think that that's a good place for the Nets to start because they're culpable. It's like they've they have funded this whatever this is and you're just at the point where it's like they should be in full out damage control and we'll see how much that that they really care. And to, to your point with like the the coverage on all of this, the defense of Kyrie Irving, you can't condemn what he's saying. And then be like, oh, but he's a good guy. No, this is hate speech. If anybody else was out here like spewing all of this stuff, yeah. and then you put the caveat of, oh, he, oh he's but a they're good a good guy. guy. That's like, the, oh, yes, and exactly, yeah. yes. And that's specifically, specifically, someone who claims to be so up on on their soapbox with all of this in in, in Stephen A. giving the sorry but apology on first take one of the most watched sports talk shows that's just that's just gross man like I yeah can't... and watch what you're gonna see if you want to give me a ben stradamus moment here this is the classic double-edged sword shit that jewish people have to deal with too because okay Kyrie gets suspended maybe he gets blackballed from the league a little bit because no one wants to take on this shit no one wants to trade for this right now you know unless he does some some real real good pr stuff and you know what people are going to say? Oh, Kyrie Irving is blackballed by the Jewish cabal right now. That's, That's what they're going to say. You know, like, like if there is a punishment for this, if he's culturally set aside, then it adds more fucking fuel to this idea that there's some fucking shadowy hand making this all happen. So it's like this stuff, like, like you want somebody to be punished for this. But then you know it's gonna like strengthen some awful position, so it, it's a terrible double-edged sword, and it's definitely gonna happen. And I don't know what the fuck people are supposed to do with that, you know? Yeah. Well, we will see. We we, we will see. But uh, Benny, do you want to move on <laughs> to the rest of the podcast? Please? You know what? I'm glad. I'm, you know, I've been avoiding talking about this topic for a couple of weeks. Yeah. I got to say, it feels good to I at least get it off my chest a little i mean you know that there's one thing that people always forget when things like this happen is like you know it it, it strengthens people's resolve it yeah. doesn't make people back away and cower away like when this happens i actually realize more oh shit i'm jewish i gotta maybe find like other jewish people right like more of them because i don't really know any around here mm. maybe i should meet some because like there are people coming there are people looming. There are people who don't like us and you need to or like it's like this weird counter reaction that, that happens. And, you know, I try to do anything but promote positivity and yeah. peace in the world like that. It really means so much to me. But this is one of the most challenging things for me, like by far is watching like what my family has gone through, you know, knowing the fact that like. Uh, you know, Jews are in entertainment in a lot of numbers simply because they were fucking expelled from almost any other major industry that would allow people to go into it. And then, you know, it's the only one who has an overrepresentation that people are so fucking pissed about. I don't see people so mad about 
the fact that Irish cops are all over New York. And if you have the last name Gallagher, you're not going to get a fucking speeding ticket. I don't hear anyone being that mad about that. You know, Denny. So it's just so it's such a deep thing. And it's so deeply troubling in a lot of ways to the point that I'm sitting there on my steps with my wife last night being like, she's like, do you really think it's possible that like this stuff can happen again? And I'm like, you know what? I don't and I don't want to believe that. But there were also like 30,000 German Jews that fought in World War One bravely for that nation, you know, and were expelled and murdered from it about 30 or 40 years later. So, yeah, I think anything's fucking possible. I don't know. And and that's the thing that Kyrie Irving doesn't understand or can't comprehend in whatever mental state he's in is that when you say stuff like this, it's fucking dangerous. You're putting people at risk and you're not putting people like me as much at risk, like a guy in his 40s who can take. I've seen these fucking synagogues loaded with old ass fucking people just going to talk to their God before they die. You know, like leave them the fuck alone. And it drives me crazy. Uh, and I'm very angry. And I hope I don't have to see him play basketball anymore. Yeah, that'd be that'd be ver- very much key. Um, all right. Do you want to move on? on? <laughs> well, hey, that's good to get out there. You need Shake to it be, off. All right. Like, all right. Um, OK, good thing I don't have Twitter anymore. Yeah, right. Oh my goodness. Well, it's been it's been a toxic place, and that's not just because Elon Musk bought it. All right. Well, you know what segment tries to bring it every week and tries to lift people up and tries to embody everybody loving everybody. Do you know what that segment is, Benny? I think it's this day in music history. All right. What do you got? All right, nineteen seventy one. In Minnesota, announcer Al DeVoren tells the crowd, Elvis has left the building. The phrase soon enters the cultural lexicon used to signal that an event is truly over. Uh, I don't know how many times through the last 50 years that's been copied. But you know what I wondered when I read this, Denny? Who was Al DeVoren? Mm, Who was he? He was a pretty interesting guy. Oh, how about that? He was uh, born in Chicago in 22, concert announcer, talent agent. He played a trumpet in his own orchestra, specialized in booking, then known as midget acts and performing animal acts. He was also the booking agent for Pee Wee King, a country (laughs) performer. So at the beginning of his career, he didn't want to mess with the colonel. So he became responsible for uh, Elvis's openers. Hmm. And among the acts he booked was the Elvis Presley Midget Fan Club. Oh no! Yeah, so <laughs> so this guy uh, Al Devoren was specialized in concert promotion and obviously specialized in some sort of uh, midget work. Um, so he liked to schedule Presley with opening acts, uh, comedians, jugglers, and acrobats. So re- really, a uh, really interesting guy who came up with that phrase. <laughs> That did not make the movie. I can tell you that. <laughs> oh, no, I didn't see any Al DeVoren in there. I want his movie. Oh, my God. Daniel Radcliffe should jump on this one. You know? Oh, man. That movie is really good, by the way. The Weird Al movie. It's yeah, really I, don't have, I don't have Roku Plus or whatever you need to watch it. So. Roku. Oh, man. It's funny. You can go from watching the Rich Eisen show to the Daniel Radcliffe movie. What an incredible <laughs> range of content there. All right, Benny. On this day in 1984, 
Prince played the first of seven nights at Joe Louis Arena in Detroit, uh, starting an 87-date North American Purple Rain Tour. And you want to know why this one in particular is important? Why is that? It was the live debut of The Revolution. <coughs> so on this day, 1984, we get Prince and The Revolution for the first time. I love that. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Prince. I thank you for that treat. You know, yeah. I've enjoyed it. I was stumbling upon music videos the other day, and I tried to introduce my kids to Morris Day in the time. Oh, uh, I don't, I don't think they, they really understood Jungle Love yet. <laughs> Soon, I tried I sooner tried. than you'd like. Yeah, maybe. Oh maybe. man! All right, Benny. Well, let's get to our first headline today, shall we? And we have another catalog sale. Um, this time, Benny. Huey Lewis and the News have sold the bulk of their catalog to Prime Wave Music, which I, I, I don't know much about that company, for $20 million. The deal begins with their 1980 debut LP, Huey Lewis and the News, and stretches through the 1994 release of uh, Four Chords and several years ago um, in this deal for $20 million, which that, that's interesting. They, they're splicing it up in only yeah, the 14 years. That is spread. interesting. But that includes Power of Love, Hip to Be Square, If This Is It, and I Want a New Drug. So uh, for those four songs, $20 million for the rest of your life. That's a pretty good deal. Yeah, I mean, I feel like now, I mean, it's pretty funny, actually, that like 1994, this is a long time ago. <laughs> Yeah. And Huey Lewis has been worse. So that essentially means like, oh, okay, the last 30 years, we're good on. <laughs> we know that nothing you've done in the last 30 years is going to sink. It's going to do this. You probably own it or whatever. So yeah. they're not even trying to bother with that. These seem like kind of, because, you know, unlike the other ones, there does seem, you know, with a few of these songs, you have some permanent uh, shelf life, you know, I especially imagine with sinks and stuff like that. But I wonder if these funds now are really going um, and want to own the rights to this music to have, you know, basically in perpetuity rights over any cover of that song. Mm. So, you know, like you take the power of love chorus toss it into like a post Malone song now and start smashing this stuff up. And, you know, and then all of a sudden you have way more than $20 million in revenue from your, from your investment. So I think like a lot of this stuff is, it seems like shot in the dark kind of swing and miss stuff for these uh, hedge fund people now. Now I wonder if in this, right. Cause it's like all of that is, is a big deal because of, uh, back back to the future like like especially like yeah. the power of, of love and stuff like that i wonder if now the, the the people that make the money from back to the future now have to pay this these people instead of huey lewis and and the news i wonder if that's how that works yes wow. yeah that's how that works i mean i think when you give up the stuff to this you lose your mechanical royalties you lose your artist royalties like i think I mean, you you take away your your ownership over the song. I think you can still. I don't know exactly how that works as yeah. far as if you can still. I think you could still perform it and things like that, but I don't think you could. Uh, you can't use any version of that song for yourself anymore. Yeah. The one thing I do wonder is if these people could pull the like. Oh, we're gonna re-record this song. Oh, tailor it. Yeah, yeah. You might be able to tailor it, but you know these guys don't want to do that. They're yeah. old. They want their twenty million dollars. 
I, I feel like with this one, it's kind of a sound investment because yeah. of, you know, uh, American Psycho. Mm. You know, that's like a movie that'll last. And that's like a major part of that movie. And yeah, I think uh, I'd spend if I had it. Yeah. Spend 20 million on Yui. Sure. Wow. Well, OK. You know, I would have thought that whatever streamer has Back to the Future would want to like just like lock this down so that they like have the monopoly on it. But who am I? I don't know. Oh, whoa. Um, hey. Hey. Oh, by the way, that is funny. So uh, the boss was at the at the three letter network visiting Mr. Howard Stern this week. And, and, and he talked about selling his like catalog and um, quick update on the story that we've done earlier. He's like, yeah, you can't really be too upset. Uh, with h- however they choose to uh, use the music that that you sell, um, you know, it's like if if all of a sudden he sells his catalog and like Dancing in the Dark is in like a commercial for God knows what, um, he's like, yeah, you know, I I let it go because, um, yeah, so just just really interesting. But he sold it to Columbia, and I, I think that that's the important point here is to be like, hey. You got to trust who you're selling it to. Like primary wave music, have no idea what they do, but Columbia signed Springsteen all these years ago, so they know that. Yeah, do. I mean, or you don't. Like that's the thing. I I could see. I'm only I'm only in my early 40s, and I'm already getting to the point where I'm like, well, whatever. You know, like yeah. who? Like I used to really care about where these songs were used and stuff yeah. like that. Now, if like I heard one of my songs like pop up and some weird bullshit and I'm like, yeah, that's cool. Whatever. You know, and I could see by the time if I was like 60 looking back on my catalog and songs that I did like 40, 50 years ago, like, fuck it, man. Yeah, I could see it, too. Just being like, put it out there. I'm glad it's still around. I'm glad it's it's still in the narrative, you know, like who cares? Oh. All right, Benny. Well, next headline today, and it's kind of of the same variety. Um, the musical adaptation of Cameron Crowe's almost famous debut on Broadway this week. But the creative team, they're not done. They have they, they have bigger fish yet to fry. Uh, they, you know, they're the team that uh, put together the American Idiot musical featuring Green Day music, Jagged Little Pill uh, featuring Alanis Morissette's music. But they're eyeing their big white whale that they want to bring in. They want a Springsteen Born to Run musical. Um, and Benny, you know that I'm a musical guy. You know that I'm, I'm I'm a play guy. I like a dramatical adaptation as much as the next guy. But man, we, I didn't know. I, wait, I've, I've never heard you. You know, I'm a musical I'm guy. I'm a musical guy. <laughs> I know. I didn't know that, Denny. <laughs> I mean, like, I don't go as, as often as I like because tickets are, are crazy. Oh, how often expensive. do you go to the theater, Denny? Maybe Please. once, twice a year. Okay. It's like it's like does that, does that make you a musical guy? I'm a musical guy. I'll, listen, I'll throw on uh, the 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 Wicked or In the Heights soundtrack, there and you, you know, there you go. I'll drive to it. All right. Um, but almost famous, um, American Idiot, Jagged Little Pill. These feel like different things because you know Broadway has struggled to come back from the pandemic. People just don't want to spend as much money as it requires uh, to put on these shows and and for people to charge. Is this kind of like like a a desperate attempt for the financiers, the people that make money in that space, to be like, all right, let's take an area that we once shunned and try to get the, those people's money now? I don't know. I mean. 
you know what I automatically think is like it seems and I I am not a self-proclaimed musical guy such as yourself so maybe you can really fill me in here but it seems to me especially in this day and age that the soundtrack and the songs to a musical can really drive their success in a lot of ways I'm thinking like Hamilton yeah you know, I, I can imagine there was a lot of people in a lot of places who had the Hamilton soundtrack who never saw a performance of Hamilton, especially before it started traveling around and stuff like that. So the thing I'm wondering now is maybe they're putting more onus and more importance on the fact that like, oh, this play is already scored. It's already scored with yeah. this beautiful music telling tales of like all these things. And all we have to do is create the visual. It's almost like uh, half the work is done um, when you're usually, you know, creating the visual and the story and then creating a soundtrack to complement that. So I think that might be the impulse. And and when you first brought this up and I thought about it for a couple minutes, I'm like, sure, born to run and brought like like it's so theatrical in nature like the the lyrics and the things you can imagine and like i just see like a a car on stage and you know in the car like with all these scenes and going to these places like it's uh it could definitely play on stage it's big and it's theatrical and yeah. i can see that so i really think it's like they're going kind of great songs first and mm. trying to build these things you know i would be right there with you be like it's like awesome if there wasn't such a history of like hey rock and roll folk music like fuck you like like the amount of of shit that uh someone like uh, like harry chapin who tried to do like he he did the springsteen on broadway thing like 30 40 years ago and people were like oh my god it's like uh, it, it's a disgrace to the theater. So it's like for them to come back with their hat in hand now is kind is kind of whack to me. I don't know. I, I don't know if it's hat in hand. I also, you know, I'm starting to sit here thinking that does any of this have to do with the fact that theater is is truly one of the still like organic artistic experiences? You know, yeah, where you're actually going and seeing live things performed as they are with the potential for mistakes and things like that and like um you know like maybe there's a generational thing happening where the people who who love an organic rock and roll show also you know can can understand the power of theater a little more and like can feel it like a little more or something like i'm yeah. maybe i'm wondering if there's kind of a connection there what would be really cool is if we start getting people, you know, like bands and stuff like that, wanting to do an original thing because you know the the, the movie, uh, the Brendan Fraser movie, The Whale that we talked about, who's that's probably going to be up for multiple Oscars this year, started as a stage play off off Broadway, and then Aronofsky brought it, it, saw it, got the rights, brought it to life, and and now it's uh it's definitely going to be up there this year at, at the Oscars. So if we could see that. With music, it's like a whole other avenue for up-and-coming musicians. I'm into it. Let's do it. Next album, The Musical. <laughs> oh, man. Um, 59 right. Sound, The Musical. More people than you think would go see that. <laughs> All right. Um, do we want to try music video talk back here? No, do we no not today. 
All right. All right. So we're saving music video talk back. Check we'll get back there. On. We're getting the tech ready. It was, I thought that we could throw this together. Um, it was not going to work. So we get to talk about the Brooklyn Nets again because there's actual basketball stuff to talk about here. I don't know if you knew this or not, Benny. I'd, li- I'd like to talk about some basketball, please. Okay. So um, since we last on the podcast, it feels like the Nets have thrown their entire world upside down. Um, Steve Nash, no longer head coach. Um, ben Simmons is is injured. Um, so a, a bunch of the people that they put on the billboards and the posters no longer in the equation at least temporarily. Um, what's your pulse on the Nets right now? I know you went to the game the other night for your birthday. Um, what's your temperature on them right now? I mean, listen, like I, I saw it with my own eyes. I mean, that fucking crowd was cold. Yeah. Ice cold. And it's an extremely hard thing to root for, for a number of reasons now. I mean, like, it's just move after move after move where you look on the court and you're like, what am I rooting for? And like, why, you know, especially when the only chance to win now is Kevin Durant, who's still one of the most brilliant basketball players I've ever seen, but somebody who clearly said they didn't want to be there and, you know, demanded a trade in the off season. Now is back. And now the team is bad. And like, where is this going to go? So, I mean, I know it might be a short sighted view, and a lot of things can happen quickly. But, uh, you know, my instinct as a Nets fan is blow it up. Please blow it up like as quickly as possible and just let this roster rework. You actually have a couple picks that you got back uh, from trading, retrading James Harden. You know, you didn't get all your picks back, but they're not totally left in murky water. Like, I don't know, man. Like, uh, when you watch uh, teams like the Bucks and the Celtics and Cleveland play this season, so obviously one to two tiers above what New York is doing. I mean, even they're like, oh, you get Ime Udoka in there. Let's not even open the bag on how fucking poor those optics are. And then, oh, he'll, he'll create a defensive culture. Like, I'm sorry. There's no one to play defense on the Nets. Like, I'm not a fucking roster specialist. I'm not a coach. But name me one to two. Name me three above average defenders on the New New Jersey Nets. (laughs) Name me three. Um, well, Ben Simmons is her and I was an all NBA defender. Was was Um, right. Royce O'Neal's good, pretty good. Claxton has his moments sometimes. So this is where I'm like, I don't know. You could bring in a a fucking Bill Belichick. (laughs) This team couldn't play defense. Like, like this is not so I don't know, man. It's hard to see. And this idea that, you know, after five games, people are going, well, you know, uh, Seth Curry and TJ Warren haven't played. I'm like, if a team with Kevin Durant and, and these people, and already we're going to firing the coach and wait till TJ Warren may or may not come back. They're in trouble. They're in serious trouble. And like, uh, you know, even though with the talent on this roster, I think they could pull it together enough to get into the bottom of the playoffs, play in game kind of scenario or whatever. But why do that? Especially when 
the the heart of the culture is intoxicated. You know what I mean? Like uh, if there's anything that just demands like a full tear down and rebuild, it's it's currently the Nets. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think that rebuild has to start with with uh, Sean Marks bowing out and being like, hey, I, I, I had my run at this point. I kind of created this monster inadvertently, even though he tried to just like we talked about it when when, you know, the KD move happened, when the Kyrie move happened, that it was going to be like it was either going to be feast or famine. And, you know, you 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 crashed out on the house, you know, you went over 21, so to speak. And, uh, you know, you've just got to move on to the next guy. Now, where right. that is for the next guy, a guy who I, I guarantee you would build. A See, I don't know about I got I got to stop you there. Okay. I got to stop you there, because, like, here's the thing where I got to give Sean Marks a pass. I think where Sean Marks should take some hits right yeah. now is the last two years of bowing down to Kyrie Irving. Yeah. You know, like that's where he should take some hits between the COVID thing. And then buckling down under pressure last season, and now this season, just obviously huge uh, errors in the way that the team dealt with that stuff. But as far as Durant goes, I don't know a team as much as, and I said it even when the trade happened, as much as I loved Kenny Atkinson and Jared Allen and Karis LeVert and uh, Dinwiddie and Joe Harris and D'Angelo Russell and his upstart group that I had, it wasn't a championship caliber team. It was barely a playoff caliber team. They were just mm -hmm. getting in. They were a lot of fun and they were so easy to root for. But when Kevin Durant just out of nowhere, was like, I would like to come play for the Brooklyn Nets. There's not a team in their right mind who wouldn't have done that and wouldn't have done, wouldn't have brought in Kyrie and DeAndre Jordan to make it happen because it's Kevin Durant. And how many chances does a team get to land a top 10, top 20 all-time player? So I think they do that. And then I think there's some revisionist history and the fact that it never worked. It almost worked. Right. They were foot on the line away from it. They working, were foot yeah. on the line. They were right there. And that team was cooking. Steve Nash was right for them. They were an offensive juggernaut that nobody could stop. And there was this small sample size of what Sean Marks saw and why he went all in on it. And when that sample size existed, it was unbeatable. So, you know, like say for instance, that stayed together for a few years, then it's one of the biggest gambles in sports history and that, and it actually worked. Yeah. So I think like in that, in that regard, I'm not gonna, this isn't like a Billy King thing to me, right? This wasn't just some move that never even came close to working. You know what I mean? Like I, yeah. I was there for the first two years of the Billy King post-trade. I saw the Paul Pierce, Jason Terry, Kevin Garnett Nets at work. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I, that team was never going to win a championship. We all knew it. We were yeah. sitting in the building cheering for him, knowing, oh my God, I don't know what's going to happen here. That team we had you know, with, with, with Harden and Durant cooking on full steam could have been an all time great team and, and fucked up things happened. So in that regard, I'm not going to murder Sean Marks. He did a lot of smart things. He took the team out of the Billy King era quicker than a lot of people made a lot of good moves. The, you know, I was as big of a Sean Marks fanatic as anyone up until a year or two ago. Yeah. So 
I think he stays for now, and I don't think it's totally his fault. I'd like to see almost what that guy could do with a full rebuild scenario. Mm, again, yeah. Um, again. You know, yeah. the the interesting thing is like, okay, so what was the Ime Adoka speculation that hasn't quite happened yet? Was that like a panic move? Was like, was Adoka and Primo bringing in guys that are in such scandal right now? Was that just like, oh my God, I have one fire over here. Let me try to put out the other fire over here. Oh my gosh, what are my best options? And then that was his best options. Yeah, I, I think that move scream desperation. Yeah. You know, it's like, um, I think the Nets maybe quickly realized how badly they fucked up that Kyrie situation, how badly his team looked for the year. And yeah, like just this random, oh, Udoka, he was under Steve Nash. He was part of our staff. He's a great defensive guy. He holds stars accountable. Let's bring him in, you know, without even like talking. So yeah, it felt like a total desperation move. And then just like an add on to an add on to an add on of like a team just fucking up and kind of tripping over its own feet. Yeah. I say bring, bring Kenny back. Get everybody out of there. Get the assets. Kenny, what are you? Kenny would be like, are you nuts? Yeah. He's like, I'm sitting here in the Bay Area. <laughs> I'm in Sonoma every weekend, sipping the finest wines with Steve. <laughs> Kevon. He's chilling, man. I He's mean, loving it. Yeah. He gets oh, to watch Steph Curry every night. He's yeah. Like, I love it. All right. Last headline today, Benny. Let's go a little bit down. The Turnpike. Let's go to Philly, which is like a town that is absolutely on fire right now. Ooh, Maybe less time. after you know losing. Uh, what was that game five to the Astros? But Philadelphia 76ers All Star guard James Harden is out one month after suffering a right foot tendon strain and is expected to miss a month. Uh, the Sixers sit at four and five right now. Um, so the onus goes back on Tyrese Maxey, Joel Embiid while he's out. What do we learn about the Sixers over this next month when Harden's out? Can they turn it around without him? I I think this is an interesting thing because, you know, one of the early issues with the Sixers, I think clearly was the fact that James Harden's playing at a high level and he's being very James Harden um, and, and came in in shape and you're like, wow, all right, here's James Harden. Like, he looks good. And then you forget that like James Harden, in order to operate effectively on a team, needs about like 16 to 20 seconds with the ball to do so. You know what I mean? Like that this is how he works and you have to build teams around how he works to make it work and and things like that. So so even though he was cooking and the way he was cooking, uh, it obviously was upsetting Embiid right off the bat. It was messing with the flow of the team. It was leaving Maxi and Harris kind of totally lost on offense. And uh, so I think this might have one of those quick regular season turnaround type of things when you get to just put your, you know, the defensive minded DeAnthony Melton in there for 30 minutes and you just let Maxi really rip with the ball and and kind of have the ball in his hands to start the offense most of the time and then go back to running everything through Joel Embiid which is what he wants and which is you know when the Sixers seem to operate the best um 
so I do kind of predict like a quick uh, turnaround in, in game flow and the way it goes. And I think they might actually win some more games and be at least equally as competitive. But the problem there is the playoffs, you know, and when you get into series and the problems with Embiid and the things that Phillies historically run into, and that's why you need James Harden. So I don't think this team is better without him. I think we still didn't have a large enough sample size of them trying to figure it out with him. I mean, it's a, it's a major chemistry piece. It's one of the biggest ones in the league, maybe besides for like Gobert and Towns or something that, you know, people were already questioning, uh, you know, what was going on there. So, so I think that's the biggest thing. And I do think we might see a little bit of a, a jump right off the bat from the Sixers here. This is such a good situation for Doc Rivers. You talked about how he's on the hot seat, on the verge Not anymore. of fired. When they turn it around with no Harden, oh yep. my gosh, he's going to be like, see, it's not me. I, it's I, just I setting, yeah, it's setting Sixers fans up. This whole thing is just setting them up for another like very disappointing playoff loss. Like uh, that's that's what this is setting up to to, to me for. I, it was very strange last night looking at the TV, being like, wait. I'm rooting for the Philadelphia Phillies and the Houston Texans. I don't know what's happening right now. This is strange. But here's my biggest takeaway from the NBA so far this season, Dan. Yeah. Biggest takeaway. Maybe you have one, too. Okay. It's just no surprise to me right now that the best two teams in each conference have the number one and the number two defenses in the league mm -hmm. and arguably have the most continuity. And this is where I think the Nets you know, faux pas and things like that are another reason why I think the new model in the NBA is going to be what, what is kind of the Cleveland model now, mm -hmm. which is like, you do not make these moves for the star player to go over the top and jump the shark until that core is fucking set yeah. until there's a thing there that's worth putting on top of it. But this idea that you could just put these people together, these Paul George and Kawhi Leonard's these things where these guys who never played together. Let's just see how it goes. They're so talented. How could it not work? Well, the last few years have showed us every way that it could not work. And you're looking at the Bucks, who have been throwing out the same motherfuckers for the last five years, <laughs> who have the number one defense in the league, throwing out the Suns, who everybody discounted because they're kind of boring and putting back the same pieces they had last year. Well, they're the number two defense in the league and number one in the Western Conference. And a lot of it has to do with trust and chemistry. And defense is one of those mm, unspoken, beautiful chemistry things, like, like a band playing live. Mm. And the only way that you start to pick up people's mistakes, know where some people... Uh, <laughs> are a little less talented, a little more talented, when to give them their times to shine. All these things only happen when bands sit in a basement and play a lot together. This only happens when a team goes to a gym and plays a lot together. You know when a guy's not going to be there for whatever reason. You know when he is going to be there for whatever reason. And I think that means a lot. And I, I would like to see the, the, the NBA start to cater a little more towards that again. Absolutely shocked that uh, truth, transparency, trust, and camaraderie are equate to winning basketball. Absolutely a shocking thing. Um, yeah, man, my takeaway is that 
the NBA top to bottom. I, I know people are like, oh my gosh, like the league is like down this year. These games each and every night have been right. incredible. My Utah Jazz, I'm going to ride this un until the wheels absolutely fall off. I, I believe third in the West right now. Um, absolutely just keeping it together. And I, I said this from the start of, of the season, too good of a core. But right now I'm, I'm, I'm torn between, hey, are, are they going to like try to keep this together for as long as possible? Or is, or is Danny Ainge just trying to get the biggest hole for like Jordan Clarkson, which this group together, awesome. I feel like if you put Mike Conley and Jordan Clarkson in another group, I'm not exactly sure what that looks like. Yeah. I, well, I think what we said at the beginning of the program and one of the things that's the most fun to me right now is that Utah, Detroit, Orlando, uh, who else is out there? That's the, you know, these teams, they're, yeah. they're tough outs. Indiana's a tough mm -hmm. out. Uh, you know, Sacramento's a tough out. The the Lakers at this point, you know, even Houston's going to show up. OKC, yeah. like every team that's going to be in the lottery next year, like fighting for Wembenyana and Scoot Henderson and these, these twins from G League Ignite, like a lot of good players are going to go to good teams. Yeah. Which this has one of the, been one of the most frustrating parts about the lottery for me for years and years is like, the worst teams in the leagues being rewarded with the most fun players and the most fun players are the most fun to watch when they play with other fun players. Yeah. So the idea that I'm going to see Wembenyana or Scoot Henderson, you know, pairing up with uh, what Cade and Jaden Ivy, or I'm going to see him uh, pair up with Paolo and Franz Wagner. Or I'm going to see him pair up with Matherin and Halliburton. Like it's all fun. Yeah. Uh, and, and I'm into it. So, I I actually think uh, you know Silver's had a bad week, but they should yeah. take a little credit for fixing the draft lottery. A hundred percent. And there's not a situation that Wembenyana is going to go to where he's not going to be paired with somebody, right? Like if it ends up being Indiana, he's going to have Halliburton, which which that that doesn't look that likely. Um, if if say the Lakers end up tanking all the way out, then that's going to go to New Orleans. Oh my God, I. I need that. Like they're walking into a a potential big three down there with Brandon Ingram, Zion, and Wembenyana, and they could all be below the age of twenty six. That's exciting as hell. It's amazing. Yeah. It's amazing. The yeah. NBA is in good shape. Sorry, I just got lost on KD finally making. Uh, oh yeah, I saw a statement yeah. about Kyrie. Which... This guy, he's just like, come the fuck on. What did I do? I know. Can you imagine? Imagine leaving the Warriors. The 2017 Warriors, one of the greatest basketball teams ever in the history of basketball, to just come to New York and hang out with Kyrie for a few years and just get this fucked up. Oh, Katie. I love Katie. This is a rough move, boy. And it's on you. It's on you. <laughs> Katie is the director that like made the big box office movie. He made like the equivalent of like Top Gun Maverick that made a billion dollars. And then he just like tried to make like his like next three and they just all made like no money. That's so KD. Oh man, just tough, tough stop. Oi, but, you know how I got to close this episode, Denny? Yes, please do. Oi, vey. <laughs> Good enough. Plenty of ways to get in contact with the show. You can email us at the tuneup. Oh my gosh, see, it's, it's been a while. I'm out of practice with this. You can email us at the tuneup podcast at gmail.com. Follow us on all the social platforms, the tuneup HQ on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Uh, be subscribed. 
be sure to subscribe to the YouTube channel. It's awesome. It's happening. Subscribe, subscribe. We've got to get these subscriber numbers up. Raise the tides. Raise the tides. Uh, if you want to follow the big man on Instagram, he is at Benny Horowitz. I'm at Denny Gallagher on Instagram. Uh, Benny, you got anything else? Yeah, this week, more than any other week, everybody love everybody. To my Jewish peoples, stay strong. You know, we'll figure this out. <laughs> the show has ended. Go in peace. You've been listening to The Tune-Up. <laughs>